All right. You just let us know when you're ready. Coming to you from Studio Ice Nine in Earth's capital, San Diego, California, USA. It's the Beatdown Show. If you don't dig his mess, you got the wrong damn address. Here's your indomitable host, C. Colton. I want to stand as close to the edge as I can without going over. Out on the edge, you see all the kinds of things you can't see from the center. Kurt Vonnegut, y'all. And an extended warm welcome to you. This is the inaugural episode of The Beatdown Show. The voice you heard at the top of the show was that of my friend and associate, Mr. J-Dub. J-Dub in the house, thank you. Kudos to you, sir. Excellent job there with the beginning. I am your host, C. Colton, a.k.a. C-Note, a.k.a. Colt Larry, a.k.a. Colt Dog, a.k.a. Cornelius, if you're not into the whole brevity thing. And we present to you a San Diego-centric program touching on a variety of topics, uh, such as local... Politics, news, sports, culture, and of course, craft beer, since we know our fair city is the hashtag craft beer capital of America. J-Dub, what do you got for me? Oh, well, I mean, I love craft beer. In fact, I think beer drinking is a bit of a craft itself. You have to, you have to hold yourself together, balance it the right way. The way you do it, it certainly is. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's like conducting a symphony. <laughs> Perfect. Anyway, here on the show, we're going to speak our minds. We are beholden to no one. We have no sponsors. We're not being advertised by anyone. So it's free forum for it's a free forum for just letting loose and having a good time with it. Uh, we'll also have an interview portion of each program, picking apart the mind of some local luminary, dignitary, or other person. Airy. Of interest, an, or an airy, yes, that too. Diction. So uh, we'll do that. Uh, actually, on this episode, we'll we'll uh, we're going to be speaking with Jeff Tarek, the music editor and esteemed writer for San Diego City Beat. That's uh, our lovely Alt News Weekly that does. They actually do a fine job of covering all things San Diego, and uh, I always try to pick one up uh, every week when they have that going. Let's just remember this, though, folks. The show is constantly evolving, and we'll be adding and subtracting segments probably each time. So there's a lot of moving parts. Um, if Yeah, if you want to get involved. I was going to say, you know, as long as there's no math homework with all this addition and subtraction, because that, that's going to be too much for me. There won't be any of that. But, okay. uh, but uh, yeah, no, it's, it should be great. And uh, looking forward to getting it started. So, uh Let's get it going. Let's uh, let's spit some fire. <laughs> That's marvelous. It certainly is. All right. Well, uh, we'll start off with uh, a couple of really big topics that are affecting San Diego right Uh-oh. now. Yeah, here we go. Uh, really, the, the main issue that everybody's been kind of talking about uh, this spring has been the Chargers and their stadium project, uh, the proposal for a new building for the professional football team. We'll get to that. First, I think what is the most pressing uh, 
topic that really affects all of us here, all of us residents, not just in the city, but also in the county. And that is water. It's the drought. Water. It is. It's, it's, I mean, I've, I've taken up to only urinating outside. That's a kid. That's saving some water. I appreciate that. I think we all do. Uh, Newsflash, if you didn't know, California's in a severe drought right now, especially here in Southern California. Now, there could be help on the way. This is uh, the climatologists and meteorologists are predicting that a super El Nino. A super El Nino. Super El Nino is on the horizon. It could hit. That means a lot of rain for us here in specifically in Southern California. And it tends to uh, send the big storms our way. In fact, the last one was in the 1997-98 kind of. If you think of it as almost the school year, that that kind of that rainy season. I was here for that. It ravaged a lot of homes. We got a record amount of rainfall here in the county and around the city. And I'll tell you what, people's backyards fell uh, into the ocean along the beach communities. My my parents, in fact, uh, had their backyard collapse. They they lived in the the beach community of Solana Beach, and oh, so it wow. was it was kind of. Uh, did they have a garden crazy. or like anything expensive out there that they lost, you know? Well, the back deck was made of wood and oh, yeah. it did a lot of damage. But I mean, there were houses in Del Mar and Cardiff by the sea where they were completely destroyed and people had to um, had to start over again. Um, the other thing it did, though, that was good for a lot of the coastal communities was it got people to put up seawalls that would reinforce the bluffs so that they weren't... Uh, you know, falling into the sea, into it, the ocean. Yeah, dangerous for cliff divers, you know. Exactly. Uh, you know, the bad thing about an El Nino storm, you can get a lot of erosion, mudslides, floods, that kind of thing. That's no good. Um, I think what people need to know, though, a third of our water comes from Northern California, uh, about about half from the Colorado River Basin. Now, J-Dub, I know you're... You're you're from Colorado. I'm a Colorado guy. I'm a mountain man. Yes. We've been stealing your water for years. How do you feel about that? Oh, you know, I don't really care. We have a better view. Nice. Well, in any event, uh, the Colorado River, though, is, has always been a huge source of uh, our water here in Southern California. Um, amazing, though, right, that Colorado is in the center of the country, and they can somehow irrigate this all the way through Utah and Nevada and everything else to California. Hey, you got it's that river, man. It's, but, but, I mean, it, yeah, the river, and it makes sense too. You know, the mountains and the snow caps, ice turns the water. Speaking of the snow, snow caps, uh, that's one of the problems that's going on, and why this drought's so horrible is uh, the, the snowpack that would normally be up in the Sierra Nevadas for the most part, right? In California, is uh, that normally that'd be melting right about now, filling the reservoirs as it is late spring right now. Mm-hmm. That's not happening because the snowpack's at three percent of normal, and when that happens, that's why we're experiencing such severity to this drought, uh, as I'm sure you've noticed. Right, of course. And, you know, 3% of normal, I bet normal is already a very low percentage uh, to start with, you know. There's that. And, you know, anybody who's driven around San Diego, and if you've been to the I-5, 805 split or merge, you see those brown rolling hills. I'll give you an example. I Speaking of the snowpack, I went up to Lake Tahoe area a couple months ago and in March, and at that point, you should still see a lot of snow and a lot of green. There's so many beautiful evergreen trees up. It looked really brown, browner than ever than ever I had remembered it before. So that's just, you know, the visual aspects of what's going on with the drought. Yeah, yeah and, and that's true. You know, I can also, uh, every Thursday for my work, I have to travel uh, north a little bit, about in between here and L.A. And as I'm driving up, I'm seeing what you're talking about just past the 5805 merger. It's just brown 
Yeah, you know it should be green. You see what would be big lakes, but there's a third of water inside of them. You know, there, there's a serious issue. And with the world being 75% water, I don't understand why we can't take some of that, you know? Well, sure. And desalination is on the table as far as trying to reduce water. It's just very costly. Uh, it's certainly something we should look into, and I know it has been. A uh, couple things to keep in mind, folks. The normal rainfall per year in San Diego is 10.34 inches. That's astonishing. There it is. Uh, we're not uh, quite there yet, but we did have some some rains. That'll help out. But I guess what a lot of folks are saying is even if the El Nino storms hit, that should not be a cure-all for the drought. And so this is, I guess, the point where I say what should be common sense to everybody, but you know, common sense isn't really that common anymore, and that is everyone's got to take water conservation seriously. You've got to do whatever you can. If it's shorter showers, if it's not watering your lawns around town, I know for a fact that the state's been subsidizing folks and trying to get them to replace their lawns with drought-resistant landscaping. Right. You see a lot of it actually here, and uh, we're our, our lovely Ice Nine studio is here in in North Parks uh, in the North Park neighborhood in San Diego, and you see a lot of homeowners have switched over to that drought-resistant landscaping just around here, and I'm sure that's going on all around the county. Well, I'm, I'm sure it is too. And you know, at the end of the day, uh, are we really surprised? Uh, any of the natural landscape you see here has been planted you know this is technically a desert region semi-arid desert yes and, and so you know people shouldn't be too upset about it we should conserve water and come up with ways to solve the issue but really at the end of the day we realize we live in a desert we have to find a way to adjust to it absolutely so please folks out there take the water conversation conservation seriously and the conversation too and the conversation because it is a conversation Moving right along, we'll get right into that Chargers Stadium debate. Oh, and this is something that I mean, unless you're living under a rock locally, you would have to know. You would. There's no way you couldn't know this is going on. Just dominates the headlines. No, of course, yeah. Be it which side you're on, one way or the other. I realize San Diego's a town of transplants. You've got so many folks that move here from somewhere else, and they're Steelers fans, Patriots fans. Packers fans, the, mil the military presence. The military presence does that. But you'd have to agree that uh, at the very least, there is a very strong contingent of Charger fans who would hate to see the team leave and go to L.A., and that's what we're talking about here. Uh, obviously, the team has been trying to get something done for about 13 years. It hasn't been working. Uh, so here's what's on the table right now, J-Dub. This is uh, pretty pretty recently here. Uh, the mayor of San Diego, Kevin Falconer, uh, has an appointed committee called the Citizens Stadium Advisory Group. They just released a proposal, a stadium proposal, just the a, other day. A complete group dedicated to advising the mayor on the stadium. Well, I th and yes, exactly. That's that's what they are doing and uh, what, what kind of proposals have they been bringing up though you well know? that's the thing they at first they did a question and answer session they did a rally at the stadium a few months ago i was present it was fun but it was nothing more than a rah-rah type of deal a lot of charger fans filled into the stadium we watched a video board where common citizens were allowed to ask the advisory group the csag as it's called okay ask them questions uh the biggest thing was what are we going to do? Are we going to do the stadium 
proposed new stadium downtown? Are we going to keep it in Mission Valley where, where Qualcomm Stadium is now? It was pretty clear after that rally that Mission Valley is the place to be. And so oh, yeah. that is that is the way that uh, this kind of proposal is moving. Now, here's what they proposed uh, just recently. Okay, so the big thing is, how's this thing going to get paid for? Okay, there's a huge debate. There's some people that... You know, taxes. Taxes, right? That sort of thing. Well, here's the deal. There will be no raise in taxes according to this new stadium proposal by the CSAC. I would pay taxes for a good stadium. You know, and, and that's the thing. You would do it. I would. I'm a lifelong Chargers fan and a San Diego native. There's a lot of folks who wouldn't. A lot of folks who wouldn't. Oh, I mean, they yeah. won't even, wouldn't even want to pay an extra dollar a year for this. <laughs> but what this, what this proposal does is it doesn't raise taxes at all. So there's, it's, it's not going to be uh, a type of a thing where it's where they're going to ask citizens for more. But that's because they're already going to be taking from the city. Now, let me break down some numbers for you here, buddy. Okay, the recommendation is uh, that the city sell 75 acres of land out by the Qualcomm site, you know, where the current stadium is. Right. Okay, they can net something like $225 million. That's a conservative estimate to help fund some of it. Okay. Then they want $121 million from the county of San Diego. The county has a lot of money, okay? Then they also want $121 million from the city. Hmm. Uh, not so much. Their, their yeah. budget's a little uh, a You little better watch where you park when that starts going on. Exactly. Uh, now, here's the, here's the key. These, these multimillionaire owners, the Spanos family, are going to be asked to pay $300 million. Now, that is quite a chunk of change. They own the stadium. They do not own the stadium. They own the team. Oh, the team. Okay. They own the team. And so they're going to be approached to help build a new stadium. Right. And now they they have to know that with the way new stadiums have been built in and around the country, their commitment is they're not going to be able to have the public fund the whole thing. So they're going to have to step up and get $300 million. Now, in addition to that, the NFL is going to kick in $200 million. Hundred and fifty million of which the Chargers would repay over time, but the league wants a stadium, a better stadium here too. Otherwise, they'll say, "Hey, move to L.A. where they're going to build, where they potentially could build a new stadium," because it's all about revenue. And the NFL, big money, you know, nine billion dollar a year plus industry. Yeah, you know, you, you build a new stadium here, it keeps us competitive in the marketplace of stadiums, and like you said, we would be bullied into having to move up to L.A. Absolutely. And, th and then the idea is to get San Diego back in the Super Bowl rotation. They haven't had one here since 2003 when the NFL said, this will be the last time we have one here because that dump of a stadium you have is uh, not up to snuff for uh, the big show, the big stage. Is the seating capacity off or like you know, what, what, what makes it? It's not just that. It's just that there's not enough luxury boxes. There's not enough room oh. for the press. I mean, obviously, uh, something like Super Bowl, you get extra media coming into town for that sort of thing. Uh, it doesn't have modern state-of-the-art amenities. The stadium was built in the 60s. It's crumbling, you know. It's got to go. They need something new. Um, you know, and one of the ways they're also going to try and raise money is by selling personal seat licenses, which basically, if you don't know about these, and it's the way the stadiums have been funded now for almost 20 years in the NFL, is if you're going to buy season tickets, you have to pay a sum, let's just throw out a number here, $5,000. That's your personal seat license. It's for the right to then spend whatever more you're going to spend on season tickets. So if you're going to spend 3000 on on a pair of tickets or four tickets, you're also going to have to pay the five 
but then you hold the license to those seats so that when the time comes and you want to get rid of them, you can actually sell. This is as I understand it. Now, I could be wrong, and, and folks can obviously reach into the show when we uh, give you our contact information uh, toward the end. But as I understand it, yeah, you can sell those personal seat licenses to somebody who wants to pick up you know, the, your season tickets if you're getting rid of them. Well, yeah, it's, it's a competitive thing. I wasn't aware they did that, but I think that's really a good idea. You it's know, if, capitalism if, at its finest. If you're gonna, if you're gonna pay the price, then yeah, you you get the seats. Indeed. So, uh, and then just a couple of other little things on how they might help raise the money. You know, the San Diego State Aztecs football team borrows the stadium. There's two college football bowl games in December: the Poinsettia, and of course the Holiday Bowl that also use rent the stadium and they're going to raise the rent on all three of those uh tenants if you will the aztecs uh the two bowl games and they're hoping that will uh add to it and then the other thing is they're you know in this in this day and age of surcharges for anything you buy tickets everything there'll be a there'll be a you know something like a three dollar surcharge on every ticket sold and and then a $5 surcharge on parking. I may have those two numbers backwards, but you get the idea. The surchargers would help raise, they're hoping, uh, roughly uh, around $111 million with those. These, again, are, of course, just the estimates from the advisory group. They're oh, yeah. certainly not hard numbers. And, you know, since this is a proposal, nothing's been done yet. Just the main thing was, is it going to go to a vote for the city of San Diego or not? Uh, the way that they did this, they probably won't need to take it to a vote, um, which is good because I think it would fail miserably if it was taken to a, a, a public vote. It looks like it. So we'll see. Hey, stay tuned on that. There's going to be a lot more coming on that. Um, we'll have to see what goes on with that. Just two quick notes, too. The Chargers and Raiders, uh, of course, have been rumored. Not rumored. They they have you know proposed a joint-use stadium up in Carson, California. That's just outside of L.A., um, which is nonsense. It's like putting cats and dogs together. You're going to put the Chargers and the Raiders as co-tenants of a stadium. It's just I don't see how that could work. And they were talking about bringing the Rams back to L.A., and you imagine three super teams in one super stadium. That that sounds like a super El Nino to me. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, th- there's more coming on that, but I do know this. The Chargers made a couple of significant moves after the Citizen Stadium Advisory Group uh, announced its proposal. One was that uh, Dean Spanos, the uh, president of the team, is handing over control to his sons, John and A.G., who are in their mid-30s. Okay. Um, they've, they've basically been brought up through the organization, starting as, like, grunts, and then they, you know, would get... Like a Rockefeller kid, kind yeah, of. Yeah, get promotions. They kind of had to earn their way up so that it wasn't just handed to them. Right. Then again... You know, they were born into the right family. So we'll we'll see how the young bucks do as they take over. Uh, they're pretty bright guys. We'll see. Sometimes you're surprised. They uh, uh, they, they probably will be able to f- avoid a lot of the major pitfalls that, that Dean made when he took over the, the organization from his father, Alex Spanos, um, the grand old man of the Spanos clan. Um, so we'll see what happens, but the, the, you know the the Spanos family's had the team for thirty plus years. So yeah, and there's they they know what they're doing. There's a good probability the kids are going to know what they're doing. It's it's not as bad as when Paris Hilton takes over the hotel franchise. You know, yeah, right, runs it into the ground. Uh, yeah, no, it it should be fine. The transfer of power. Um, th- this was not a big surprise. It, people knew this was coming down the pipeline for years. Oh yeah, that's fine. The other thing to note: um, the Chargers and Raiders hired. Uh, 
former 49ers executive Carmen Policy to uh, oversee the Carson project, the stadium project. This Carmen Policy, uh, he is a very well-known and respected front office man in the NFL, and he was at the uh, helm of the 49ers uh, kind of successful run in, uh, in the 80s and, the, and into the early 90s. So that's a big hitter right there, and that makes, me, that makes it seem like the Carson Project uh, really could have some real legs to it uh, if the stadium proposal and, you know, and, and the building, the build-out of the stadium in San Diego, should it get to that, if that doesn't happen, it's, it's a real possibility. I, I've been telling people since we've been talking about the stadium issue a lot more in the last year or so, it's looking like a coin flip now to me. Um, could, could go either way. You know, on, on the whim of a notice, uh, but really in both situations, well, three of them moving downtown, building the L.A. stadium and combining teams, you know, or rebuilding where the Chargers are right now at Qualcomm, they, they all just invest a certain matter of financing, of uh, pro- production, you know, planning, and just it, one way or another, it's going to be one hell of a show watching this thing go down. No doubt, and I, I, th- I think I speak for a lot of Charger fans when I say, if the team moves and heads north to L.A., I'm out. I'm not going to follow the team as the as You won't be a fan if they move. Well, Los Angeles, I'll, I'll find a new team or I'll you know, quit football, but I, I just can't. Quit football. Well, I just, and I, I feel the same way as, as a San Diego native and many other proud San Diegans. We're not trying to be the L.A. Chargers. We're, you know, this was our team, and we're not into it. Uh, Again, I'm not speaking for everybody, but I definitely know my share of Charger fans who would who would be in the same boat as I would. Yeah, well, you're you're speaking to the choir now that you say it that way. If the Denver Broncos moved to like Texas, I wouldn't be a Broncos fan anymore. You'd be over it. Yeah. Uh, well, then you can understand how I feel. Yeah, so, I do. This provides the perfect segue for a little segment we like to call Sports. I don't know if it'll make any change. But I figure it's time for me to start playing ball. Sports. Okay. Well, we'll keep the sports segment pretty short here. Um, folks are uh, pretty excited about the San Diego Padres Baseball Club of the National League. They made lots of big changes in the offseason, brought in a bunch of free agents, mostly through trades. Um Naturally. The big one was getting Matt Kemp away from the Dodgers, and that was a huge deal because the Dodgers are still paying Matt Kemp's salary. We we structured the trade so that it's not really making a big burden to the San Diego uh, salary base. That that sounds like a great deal. You know, if um, if I'm running a restaurant and I bring in a new employee and their former restaurant's going to continue to pay them, then I am happy. You know, in fact, that's going to be my new business model. There you go. I know what a, what a great model. Thank you, Padres. But <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, a lot of it. A lot of the. A lot of the credit goes to G- general manager AJ Preller. He came in and he started making crazy big moves in the off season. Matt Kemp being the biggest one, not not by far uh, the only one. But that was a good move. Here's the difference, though. The only thing is, so far Matt Kemp has been a little underwhelming. His power numbers aren't there. I think he at this point in the season he's he's got one home run. I mean that could change. Uh, he could he could pick it up at any point, but he's in a bit of a slump. He's not looking like the guy who hit 25 homers after the All Star break last year for the Dodgers. Wow. Uh, you know he certainly has has been hitting a little bit at the plate. 
He's just not hitting them out. Um, so that's that's been the only kind of uh, downer. But where he has uh, not really picked up uh, the home run tally, Justin Upton, another guy they brought in from the Atlanta Braves, has been crushing the ball. He's, he's Killing got, it. He's got double digits and home runs. And the only downside to that is he's a free agent after this year, and he's making himself a lot of money right now by, by absolutely raking the cover off the ball because <laughs> – when he when he goes into free agency, he's going to be able to command big time money. I'm talking like Yankees, Red Sox, stupid boy band type of money. Oh yeah, when you're such a valuable commodity, you know. I mean, the sports players these days are the same as the celebrities we've always followed, and they can even have higher demands. You know, as, as you know, I follow the acting stuff, and and some of their demands are outlandish. But the sports guys I have seen just ask for these insane high numbers of money well and you're the the, the land you know the law of the land is you're worth whatever somebody's willing to pay you if somebody's going to throw a max contract or or a giant contract rather at justin upton in the offseason the truth of the matter is even though the padres upped their um their spending in this past offseason they probably aren't going to be able to compete for justin upton and have a guy take up a third of the salary you know allotment on the club when this is a small market team and but believe me they they made some steps in the right direction they spent some money they got starting pitcher james shields was the big free agent acquisition he's been outstanding he's been really really good Good. he's only going to get better a couple of the other uh pickups that i really liked they picked up a, a great catcher from oakland Derek norris who's got like that glue guy real team mentality he's hitting the ball well he's got some decent uh power numbers he's he's driving in runs and as a catcher he's throwing out base runners he just, he's not some noodle armed catcher back there you know that's important yeah th- this guy has got it going on so to speak you know he's kind of the leading man in a non-leading man position one you wouldn't expect to be turning around and motivating the team as well as outperforming other players in the same capacity there it is and the uh kind of the last but not least the uh the new closer that they got also from the braves craig Kimbrell he has double digit saves he's slamming the door most of the time the only thing that's a little concerning at this point in the season is his ERA is north of five uh right now and that's means that he's just he's getting tagged a little bit they're scoring run the opposing teams are scoring some runs off him but he's still slamming the door what we'd like to see though are those three up three down get a couple of strikeouts or strike out the side shut it down Craig Kimbrell yeah, in the military, we called that the uh, master sergeant. Three go. up and three down. Three up, three down, exactly. And, uh, you know, this is a town that has a Hall of Famer, uh, had a Hall of Fame closer for many years, uh, Trevor Hoffman, Hell's Bells. As a, uh, as a Padre fan, if you were in the stadium when that song came on and Trevor came running out of the bullpen, <laughs> that was a time to get excited. Well, now it's Craig Kimbrell. He's got Welcome to the Jungle. Um, we're, you know, we're going to have to go to a game, uh, J Dub. I'd, I'd love we to go are. to a game. I know you haven't been to a Padres game, and I feel show. that if I'm going to commit myself to being a San Diegan, going to Padres games is something I have to do. Not to mention, I just want to support the local team that represents the area I live in. Perfect, and uh, the Petco Park experience is still great. So uh, definitely, folks, get out there, check out those Padres, and uh, we'll definitely have a review on a future show. Uh, we'll have. I'll take J Dub to the ballpark one of these days. Get him, get him uh, indoctrinated, indoctrinated to uh, the uh, Petco Park experience. All right. Well, moving on now. Our next segment 
It's our guest interview. We are very lucky to be hosting the San Diego City Beat music editor and esteemed writer, Jeff Tarek. He's going to join us for a few questions today. All right. Jeff Tarek is here from City Beat. Thanks for joining us today, Jeff. Welcome. Thank you. Happy to be here. All right. Um, you know, one of the components of our show is going to be focusing on a lot of local music. Mm-hmm. And uh, you are the music editor, of course, at San Diego City Beat. You are the mm-hmm. founder and maestro of yes. TroubleZine.com. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, for the kiddies, check that out out there. You can also follow them at 1000, type out the uh, number, Times Jeff uh, on Twitter. And uh, he's got a blog of the same name. Jeff, uh, let's get right into it. Uh, right. For the unfamiliar, what's what's San Diego's music scene all about? Can you sum it up? I mean, I know it's hard to summarize. It. I was just having this conversation last night with somebody else, and, and saying that it's kind of hard to um, say one specific thing about about the scene, just because there's so much happening. There's so many different types of music. Um, it's definitely leans a little heavier toward the like like uh, Indian punk kind of things. Like there's there's some you know, in recent years, there's been been some uh, more Americana type stuff happening, um, some some folk. Uh, but I'm 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 more encouraged by there's a lot of these kind of like psychedelic rock bands that are kind of getting to be more prevalent in bands like Wild Wild Wets and Joy and Barbarian and th- these kinds of bands. You know, I, it's kind of exciting to see a lot of this happening because I think they're kind of tapping into something creative and interesting, and uh, and so that that's that's cool to see. Absolutely, and I'm, I have some familiarity with some of those bands that you mentioned. Uh, mm-hmm. If folks don't, obviously you can catch up with Jeff's work and uh, you know just a Google search and, and check it out. Uh, there's, no, there's no shortage of ways to uh, see what's going on in the local music scene. Um, frustrating thing for me. Okay. Local music fan. Sure. Uh, I have my bands that I like. I don't pretend to even come close to a, a one one-hundredth of uh, a bit of knowledge about the scene and all the all the different bands that you do, but this this has happened quite a bit over the years. Where I get pretty excited about a, a, a great local band, see them once or twice live, and something happens and they break up. What's what's your take <laughs> as a critic on that? I mean, it, it's got to be frustrating for fans who really oh, get into yeah. it. Oh yeah, yeah, and, and that, maybe you. And that's not exclusive to local bands either. Um, I mean, you know, there's. I think what what happens is is especially with with new bands, you know, they they get started, um, and you know, it doesn't it doesn't take long to get discouraged or, or like somebody moves or, um, you know, somebody gets married or has, has kids, a baby, right? You know, these, <laughs> it, these kinds of things tend to either, you know, make a band take a, a long break or or they end up breaking up or they end up replacing somebody in the band, and so it's 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 hard, I think, when you know, you when it's not like your primary source of income or something along those lines to keep a band going for a really long extended period of time. And I think, you know, even with bands that have been around for a few years, you'll see that, you know, members come and go sometimes just because other things kind of end up being a priority over a band, which is too bad, you know, but I mean, that's that that tends to happen. I mean, life does sort of get in the way sometimes. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh Terrific. And now there are so many promising local musicians, be they bands or artists. Uh, how do you keep tabs on everything, man? Because you seem to be the expert of all things San Diego music scene. <laughs> it's it's tough. It's tough. Um, I mean, you know, people send me a lot of stuff 
so I mean, there's always something in my inbox that 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 I'm checking out. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of shows happening, and I try to see as many as I can. You know, it's it's hard because I got to sleep sometimes. <laughs> right. But um, but you know, I, I I just try to you know show up early, see the opening bands, because um, that's always a good way to 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 see bands you've never heard of before or that you're not familiar with. Um, and you know, uh, people recommend stuff to me, um, bands that that I already know about. You know, maybe they'll they'll uh, they'll be playing with with a band, um, or they they recommend someone to me that I should check out. And so it's it's really just a it's not just one thing. It's it's a it's a long list of recommendations or reading about bands or seeing them live or someone pitching them to me from like a PR agency or something like that. It, there's so many different ways. Or even just like going to Bandcamp or SoundCloud and just kind of like looking up sure. tags and things like that, and that I, that I might be interested in. Terrific. I mean, yeah. I mean, there, you've got your antenna up for sure. Yeah. So many antenna. many different antennae. Yeah. Antennae, right? <laughs> exactly. Uh, I'm speaking with San Diego City Beat music editor Jeff Terich. Uh, let's talk local music venues for a second. Okay. Uh, obviously, bands need a place to play. What's, they do. What's your favorite room and why? My favorite room, well, it's kind of a toss-up, I think. My two favorite rooms are uh, the Casbah and the Soda Bar. And really, it's just I like I like the intimacy. I like the small venues. Um, they sound great. Uh, and it's it's a place, they're both, like, casual and comfortable. And, and um, you know, as much as I like going to see some of the bigger shows, um, you know, sometimes it's, it's nice just, like, pull up a bar stool, get a beer, and, and you're just kind of... And you know it's not quite like having a band in your living room, but it's it's the closest experience that you can get in in kind of a you know rock and roll bar. Absolutely, uh, both terrific venues. For those uh, listening, if you have not been to either spot, specifically the Casbah, which is legendary in the oh, yeah. sound, oh yeah, uh, please check out a show. Uh, check your local listings. Uh, how about how about an underrated venue? Maybe something you didn't uh, mention that's kind of under the radar or that's kind of um, you know starting to. Uh, really show its colors sure um well i think i think i gotta i gotta give some some love to the hideout um which is just a couple doors down a couple blocks down from the soda bar and um they've been booking a lot of great shows um sort of some of some of the like rising touring bands as well as some of the some of the good local shows happening um i know that uh I've I've written about several bands that have that have played there in the in the last uh, year or so, and and I and I think they've kind of got their finger on the pulse of like sort of what's what's coming up, what's happening. Absolutely, I I have not seen a show there yet. I've certainly had a few beverages over there. Uh, <laughs> they have some good ones, but you know, I mean, no. I've, I've seen shows there before when it, when the club was called something else. Uh, it's obviously it's been like six or seven different things. You yeah, know, exactly. <laughs> so the San Diegans know what we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, if you've been here any amount of time and been in the local scene you know it's been it's been kind of a revolving door but i hopefully the hideout is here to stay and, and it is a great venue um one of the most notable additions to the san diego music landscape has been uh observatory north park uh acquired in the last year mm-hmm. by the um ownership group that owns the one in santa Ana in orange county mm-hmm. um they're making a really big splash and uh you know how is how have they been a game changer in your mind they uh, one of the, one of the ways in which they've been a really major game changer is just the the sheer volume of bookings that they've had has been really impressive. Before last year, when it when um, when it was bought by the owner of the West Coast Tavern, and uh, and they they held it for about a year, maybe a little less. Um, 
they were kind of starting to to see more of that happening before you know when the north when the north park theater was um i think it was run by lyric opera um they didn't have as many shows there they you know a couple times a year maybe um but for the most part there wasn't that much happening and then it started to rise a little and then when once the observatory took over every week there would be three or four great shows happening and in they're keeping that up and it's and it's really encouraging because i think that historically san diego has been kind of a tough market for touring bands and to really kind of like aggressively push like like this is a destination where you know where where musicians want to come and where where there's and they've been selling out the room pretty consistently so so i think that's a good sign that shows that san diego is a market where where live music is successful and and it's it's something that i personally love to see it, it it's absolutely terrific a uh, little biased obviously i'm based in north park our ice nine studio studio ice nine as we call it here is located in north park so um you know shout out to uh the observatory uh definitely also just on a, a note that i've noticed i'm seeing a lot more hip-hop acts getting uh, yeah making the swing not just stopping in la and then going to phoenix or something definitely, like that definitely. so that's that's encouraging for hip-hop fans I'd, I'd say yeah and a lot of um a lot of kind of uh hip-hop legends even i mean uh, the far side was there recently yep. uh the jizza was there not too long ago um and uh yeah i saw that actually in august uh raekwon and ghostface killer are going to be at the house of blues and i'm surprised that they didn't go to the observatory but um they are sort of competing venues Exactly. You know what? That yeah. that goes right into my next question. Yeah. Man, it's like it's like you read my mind. Do you, do you feel like um, do you feel like the uh, observatory is uh, kind of siphoning business from the House of Blues or other venues? I they might. It kind of seems that way, and I, and I think that's because they're very comparable in size. Um, but the observatory has a slightly larger capacity than House of Blues does, and I think that the fact that they can sell this this many more tickets is enticing to uh to you know bands management and touring booking because they can make more money that way so um you know it's hard not to look and say like oh we can sell 100 more tickets maybe we should try there that doesn't mean they will sell 100 more tickets but i think it does offer some incentive to book there indeed yeah. no doubt um and then for our North County brethren, everybody knows about the Belly Up in Solana Beach. Um, we won't go there because they, they've been doing pretty darn well for a few decades now. They do well for themselves. They but, do. But you had a pretty funny story about Boar Crossing in Carlsbad, right in the village there. Um, yeah. Can you, can you relay that real quick? Sure. I, I, I wasn't there when this Fair happened, enough. but um, but there there was this band called Coda Reactor, um, and I, I don't know if they broke up or they're just kind of on a long break right now, but... Um, they were playing a show that um, I don't know exactly how this transpired, but somebody in the band ended up stripping off all of his clothes and ended up uh, oh boy finishing the show in the nude and um, and basically ended up getting thrown out as a result of it because this was not to the uh, venue's liking, and so they ended up not only banning the band from playing there in the future, but they actually ended up. Um, adding a clause to their contract which basically stated that if if you if there was any inde- indecent exposure as part of your show you would not get paid for that performance so Incentive they not to strip 
they cr- they created history in 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 North County. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great story. Yeah, I wasn't there either. Um, again, I've got City Beat music editor Jeff Tarich. He's been kind enough to give us a few minutes out of his busy schedule. Um, at City Beat, uh, your annual demo review mm-hmm. issue is one of my favorites. I know a lot of fans uh, of, of your weekly appreciate that one too. Uh, what goes into that, and is it an exhausting task? Because it's a monster. It is. Oh, it's very exhausting. It's... Um yeah, the whole process takes a couple months. It basically starts out with we, you know, we put up the ad, we put up the like on Facebook and Twitter and stuff like that, saying like, send us your demos. We'll we'll review everything you send us, and um, and we do. I mean, you know, it, very occasionally something will slip through the cracks. It's just hard because once you get 150, 200 demos, it's hard to keep track of everything. Um, you know, I keep a an Excel spreadsheet with with all the names on it, but. Um, but yeah, so once once those start coming in, you know, people either send us actual CDs or a very occasionally vinyl, and um, we more and more we've been getting more digital submissions, SoundCloud, Bandcamp, those kinds of things, or just like a zip file, and um, we just you know between maybe six or seven of us, we'll uh, we'll just divvy them up, and uh, I think this year I wrote probably thirty. Something like that, which is which is a lot. It's quite a yeah, few. Yeah, it is. And, um, and you have a lot of help. Like obviously, other staffers help you out with that. And other, yeah, other freelancers. Freelancers um, too. Some yeah. of the some of the people on staff, uh, you know, basically everybody everybody dives in. Everybody does a few. Um, yeah, you can't do them all. I'm sure you'd like to, but there's just not enough time. It's yeah. I'm just I, I I'm only one man. I can only do so much. He's but, just a man, folks. Not a machine. <laughs> just a human being. <laughs> uh, so so yeah, we di- we divvy them up. We we write up everything we've got, and you know we we just put it all out on the table. We we're we're brutally honest sometimes. Um, sometimes we're it's it's effusive praise. It can it can go either way. Nine times out of ten though, it's it's okay. It's pretty good. It's not gonna change the world, but but it's all right. Sure, unless yeah. it's extra special good. Unless it's extra special good, and then and then we we give them some love, or it's just it's it's just one of those demos, and you know it, it, sometimes it hurts us, but we just have to give them some tough love, you know. Sure, sure, it's not mean spirited, uh, and I wonder about that. I mean, do you uh, take any incoming or flack from uh, you know maybe any overzealous band leaders or that kind of thing? Uh, I'm curious, you know. Um, you know, it, it, it's it's funny because I sort of hear secondhand how like there are some people in the scene who don't really appreciate getting slammed when when demo review comes around. But I think the, the, what I've noticed is the bands who are actually really good who probably wouldn't get a really bad review from us would are the ones who are uh, more understanding about taking criticism. Who are like. Do your worst. It's your job. Do what you got to do. So I think I think it's just it's just part of the game, you know. If 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 you're gonna put your art out there, you you have to be open to um, having people say something about it, and it's not always gonna be positive. But you know, we do it from a place of like, if if you're if you're a new band, if you're starting out, if this is this is your demo, um, we're not saying that we're 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 doing this as a public service, but but you know, hey, maybe take it take it to heart and and if if we really think that your your singer isn't that good maybe you know give him some lessons and uh <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> we'll see where it goes uh, oh yeah i love it that's fantastic <laughs> uh hey you know there there have been a long 
line of formidable music editors at City Beat. Uh, anybody's lived here for any amount of time, you can remember some of the some of Jeff's predecessors. Um, it's it's a it's a, I, I would think it's probably a pretty awesome position. But what what did you bring to it that maybe some of, some of the other fellas that had it before didn't didn't bring to the position? Or are you doing the exact same thing? Um, that's hard to say, just because I I. Uh I don't. I don't really. I can't say for sure how they how they did things. Um, I know that I just just for, for one thing, you know, my taste is I, I think unique. Um, I, I I don't. Um, my predecessor Peter Holslin. Um, I know that he was into a lot of um, kind of unique like like world fusion kind of bands. Like he liked a lot of African music, stuff like that. And I do too. Um, but I, but I think uh, I'm probably the the City Beat music editor who's the biggest metal fan. So uh, I, I like to think that that that, that I, I made uh, I made the section a little bit heavier, a little bit darker. But um, but I like to I like to cover as as broad a range as possible, you know, because I, I think it does nobody a, a service to, to just cover one type of music or one one uh, scene or niche or genre. Um, so I, I try to keep as as open a mind as possible when when uh, filling out the calendar. Terrific, and and I think you do a, an excellent job of that. I'm, I'm really you. not trying to sidle up to you here. I <laughs> I just as a as somebody who goes to shows and somebody sure. who enjoys, um, like I said at the top of the interview, uh, getting excited about local bands. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it's appreciated. Um, right. Let's see here. Um, well, uh, summer is almost upon us here, uh, mm-hmm. and there's always great shows coming uh let what's uh what do you see on the horizon what's on the radar that maybe some local uh music buffs can seek their sink their teeth into that's coming up <laughs> well um there's a lot of good stuff coming up in june and july um i'll throw a few at you next week on um on the second uh spoon will be playing at the observatory uh the second night of of a two night kind of stay here the first one sold out this one's going to be sold out soon enough um, they're they're a great band. They've been around a long time, and, and uh, you know have a lot of a lot of great great songs. Um, on the fifteenth, uh, one of my favorite new local bands. Uh, they're called Le Chateau, and they've got sort of a dreamy kind of electronic thing. Um, I'll be doing a feature on them soon for City Beat. So you look forward, folks. So they're playing on the fifteenth at uh, at the office in North Park. Um, uh, let's see on. July 1st, there's a, a Dutch performer named Jocko Gardner. He does kind of like a psychedelic pop thing. It's very cool. Um, he'll be playing at the Casbah. And uh, like I said, I am a, I'm a big metal fan. And uh, w- one of my favorites, High on Fire, is going to be playing on July 30th at the Casbah with another one of my favorites, Paul Bear, who um, uh, they, they played in December at Soda Bar, and it was an awesome show. So I highly recommend anyone who's into heavy music check that one out tremendous yeah and th- those are all june dates right so uh two the spoon spoon and le chateau are in june and jocko gardner and higher and fire are in july in july and that was yeah. the casbah right yes terrific uh well you know uh do you have any local acts that people should keep an eye on just anything that comes to mind right off the top of your head people that are kind of you know really making progress and bands to really check out um well the band that i just mentioned uh le chateau that that's one of them sure. um they they just basically started playing live this year and um and 
you know, making some amazing progress. Um, there's a, another band uh, who's, who's been around a little while called the Surefire Soul Ensemble. They do kind of like a funk Afrobeat sort of thing, and they're they're really great, super fun live, and, uh, and uh, they're definitely worth checking out if you're into any kind of soul, funk, or otherwise. Um, and uh, those are my two favorites right now, but, um, but there's always new bands coming out that, that I'm stoked on that uh, I'll be happy to talk about in the future. Fantastic. Well, Jeff, I really appreciate you coming by. Again, we've been talking with Jeff Terich, the music editor of City Beat. You can follow him at 1,000 Times Jeff. Uh, he's got a blog of the same name, and you can find his work in the San Diego City Beat, either the hard copy or their website, sdcitybeat.com. And then, of course, he is the uh, founder, maestro, contributing editor, probably all things, for <laughs> treblezine.com. Uh, really appreciate it, Jeff. Hopefully, uh, we'll have you by the Beatdown show again and, uh, and talk in the future. Thanks again. Sounds good. Thank you. All right. There he goes. You're listening to The Beatdown Show, featuring the insuperable C. Colton. Now, back to the show. All right. That's some enthusiasm right there. I like that a lot. All right. Well, let's let's give a little rundown of what we've done so far. We had our opening segment. We talked about the water issue that's facing all basically all Californians, but specifically how it affects San Diego, the drought and whether or not a uh, Super El Nino will be coming through. The Superboy. That's right. Uh, then we talked about the Chargers Stadium issue. We could do a whole show on that. Um, I, I'm i not an expert about it. I just know what I know. I'm fo- It's something that everyone's following in the media, and it's kind of the – it's really been the biggest story of the year locally. What doesn't matter what side you're on. There's plenty of people that really don't care if the Chargers leave town, but there's – quite a few that that do and and so we we kind of went over that for a little bit then we went into our sports segment sports 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 it was perfect uh we were able to talk a little bit about your 2015 san diego padres they've been a little inconsistent padres that's right they've been a little inconsistent thus far uh my i think if people just are patient it'll come around this is a team that is built to compete for a playoff spot not saying they're going to win the division. They could do that, though, if they get their stuff together. But this is definitely a watchable team. The last few years were unwatchable. I mean, it was it was bad. You, you thank yourself that you didn't go to any games before J Dub because they <laughs> they were it was terrible. I, I, I believe you. You know, it, it sounds like you know, it, it's like you'd want to uh, you'd rather watch commercials for eight hours. Indeed. So there's hope now on the Padres front, and that's fantastic. And uh, we are excited about that so now we are going to get into a little segment uh craft beer is what we're talking about here and a segment we like to call oh what you drinking on Oh, yes. As we know, San Diego is the craft beer capital. It is. Different different brewery popping up every day, I'm telling you. All the time, everywhere. I thought Colorado was one of the biggest, and it is, but, but San Diego has definitely surpassed us in the past like 10 years or so. Absolutely. No, hey, great beer's coming out of Colorado, and 
greater Denver, Boulder area, Fort Collins. Absolutely. Some great beers coming out of there, but this is a San Diego show. We're going to focus on uh, what we got going here, but we also like beers from outside the region. So we are going to break down a couple of things of what we're drinking on right now. What are we drinking on? That's right. Well, I'll tell you what I'm drinking on right now. Uh, St. Archer. Hmm. St. Archer Brewing here in San Diego. The White Ale is a personal favorite of mine. Now, it is a Belgian white or Wittbier, as the Germans might say. Uh, the great thing about it is it's spiced with coriander, which is basically a, you know, the non-Spanish way of saying cilantro. Uh, spiced with coriander and fresh orange peel. Uh, to me, this is the ultimate summertime beer. It's light. It's refreshing. About 5% ABV, uh, so it's not going to put you on your rear end. And it, it, It's a good chilling beer. It's, yeah, a, you- it's an excellent chilling beer. I can have several in a sitting. Uh, it's got not real bitter, just 12 IBUs. And uh, check this out. Uh, you, it's popping up in bars all over the county and restaurants. I just had one at a bar the other day. So it's, it's spreading. It's definitely one of my favorites uh, when I go to my local spot. Uh, the brewery is in Miramar, or as sometimes it is referred to, Miramar. Miramar. And uh, how perfect is this? That's uh, off Miramar Road. Um, I think they're actually located on Distribution Avenue. And I'll tell you what, I've been distributing a few of those right to my gullet lately. Yeah, what a, uh, what a perfect crossroad to be at. I lived right over there. Oh, did you? Yeah, not by my own choice. I was in the military, and they put me there. But it was a nice place. Ah, beer mar. Lovely beer mar. So anyway, check out the uh, St. Archer White Ale. It's got a terrific flavor, and I love this word that's used to describe beer. Mouth feel. Mouth feel. A lovely flavor and a mouth feel. So that's what I'm drinking on. Now, uh, J-Dub, what, uh, what you drinking on? I'll tell you what I'm drinking on. It's actually it's, uh, it's, it's the Firestone Walker Company, you know? It's uh, their Easy Jack Great IPA. Brewery. Great, yes. oh, oh, tremendous! They're putting out good and stuff. I, I just came across this. I was out eating with some friends the other day, and it was recommended to me, and I tried it. And uh, gosh, I mean, it, it's 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 about four point five four alcohol by volume, so it's not gonna knock you down, you know. But it it delivers a massive aroma of hops. Uh, I guess they have some Bavarian Mandarin. Uh, Wallertau melon and, and uh, there was also uh, there was New Zealand and American mosaic you know but it had a great malted balance to it and it really just it, it, it kicked in strong and rolled off smoothly you know everything you could ask for perfect in a good beer. hey go check that out that's folks. a summertime evening beer to follow the St. Archer definitely so there we go Those, that's what we are drinking on the beatdown show recommends that you respect the craft please drink responsibly I'll tell you what before we get into the J-Dub film review segment. We're going film review. That's right, because he is an actor. One man (laughs) pursuing the dream. There's the movie movie announcer voice. I like it. Yeah. Uh, Before we get into that segment, though, we are going to go into, uh, because both he and I have have and do still work in the restaurant and bar industry, we're going to do... Fortunately. Exactly. a A little segment I like to call restaurant bar etiquette. So let's get that going. Tremendous. So this is what I'm. Uh, I'm not a big fan of telling other adults how to live their lives. No, well, you know, we're all grown people. Grown grown people should know what they're doing. Sure. However, I have no problem offering suggestions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and some people need them. It's like an intellectual tip jar, you know. There you go. 
So, here's what I'm ranting on here with the restaurant bar etiquette this week. Uh-oh, which one you got this week? It's large groups splitting checks. Oh, my God. Okay. Now, I realize not everybody who's listening to this podcast right now has worked in the service industry. No. Some have. But those of you who have know split checks are sometimes the bane of our existence as front of the house people. It's fine if you want to split a check. I actually, especially if it's not a huge group, two, three, four, not a problem. Uh, it's. I certainly don't have a problem with it. It's, it's funny. Some places you go, like the... The front of the house will get so, you know, like the server will get so upset if you ask for a split check or they'll roll their eyes. And by the way, folks that are in the industry, that's not good customer service. Not at all. So don't do that. Keep it to yourself. Try not to do that. But split checks are a reality. You know, folks go out to lunch. They want to split the check, whatever. That's fine. Try to let your server know that you're splitting the check at the beginning of the meal. I was just going to say, every time I go out with a group, if we're going to split the check, I put it up front. I just say, look, we're going to split the check here. So if you want to take individual tabs, that, I mean, I just, I, I did that before I even entered food service. It was common sense to me. There you go. And bigger groups, try not to, if you can. If you got 20 people and you're going to have like 10 or 12 or 20 different checks, obviously like a lot of couples go out together and then, you know, the you know, the, the guy and the gal are going to be on one tab and this couple over here is going to be on another tab. But if you're, I mean, if you're a big group and to me, 20 is a big group, don't do it if you can't. If you can have one big wig, Daddy Warbucks, just pay the bill. That's really appreciated. Plus, think about this. If you have 10 different checks, 12, and let's say everybody's paying with a card. Oh, yeah. Do you know how long that takes to run those cards? I mean, it just adds time to, especially if you're trying to get out in a hurry, it's just going to add time to the end of the transaction. So try to plan ahead if you can. Look, I realize sometimes you can't help it. You have to split checks. Yeah, That's okay. Let people know in advance. And again, I can't stress this enough. The larger the group you have, try to pare it down. You know, if you, maybe you're splitting it four ways or take everybody's money early. Just make it easier on the staff and you'll get better service that way too that's really what it is i'm not i'm not scolding consumers or customers here i'm just adding a little friendly advice here in the restaurant bar etiquette now what do you have for us jada oh okay so a while back i worked at a restaurant where i was what you would call a, a food runner and so i'd grab food off the expo line and first of all i was terrified because i'd see everyone carrying all these plates and i was like i don't know if i have the balance for that uh, you know, but you get it, especially if you're just focused on having a job. But the way that place was, you would order food and you would name your food. It was all custom made. So we take a ticket out and we go to the table and you'd sit there and you'd look. Interesting. At, yeah, it was. You know, and you get some fun, good names. Um, I felt bad. There was a family, and I'm sitting there reading off the names of the burger, and I'm like, all right, and I have the healthy heart attack. And the dad's like, yep, oh, right here. I was like, oh, I hate saying that in front of your kids, but you wrote it down. Wow. Uh, but really, the worst thing is when you go out there and you call something out and the people forget what they ordered, especially when they name it after themselves. You walk out there, you have a, you know, three people. You have like Bob, Gary, and oh, Diane. Bob. Oh, Gary. And then like a, you know, two male and a female name. You'll walk out and you'll be like, okay, Diane. And, sh and like they'll just look at you with these nuts. You can see the blankness going back in their skulls. So thick-headed. And then like they'll look at each other for a second. The woman's like, oh, I'm Diane. So 
first of all, it just blows my mind in practicality. But secondly, if you order food, remember what you ordered. That helps usually, yes. <laughs> uh, you know, people forget. That's fine, you know. They but do. It, it would be, it, it helps the staff a lot more if they can, you know, just remember what you ordered. We're busy. It takes time away. And, yeah. and I wanted to backtrack and comment on what you were saying. Yeah. Oh, the split checks. Yeah. Imagine, you know, if a big party shows up, if you're in a big party and you've pre-planned the payment for everything. Right. When you sit down and you have one person say, hey, I am taking the tab. Like, first thing, that will give you fathoms more customer service right, but I, I, and I mentioned that actually so thank you for echoing that and I agree with you just the thing is I get it not every group can do that that's fine and so these are just guidelines these are not you know I'm not trying to scold anybody here I'm not no, trying to no. tell people what to do they're guidelines it's also going to make the service better it's going to improve the service uh, we're, we're veterans of this this particular industry we yeah, know what we're we talking about we are here to serve you indeed so um Next, we're going to get to uh, J-Dub's film review, but uh, I've got one thing to say after that uh, lovely restaurant bar etiquette thing. <laughs> That's marvelous. It is marvelous. Okay. So we'll move on now. Uh, J-Dub, as I have mentioned before, he is uh, a bit of a local actor and uh, really a man for all seasons, a renaissance man, if you will. Uh, what have you for us today? We're taking a look back at a film uh one of your personal favorites it's certainly we're not doing movie reviews of stuff that's in the theaters right now right we're taking a look back at something as part of j-dub's film review uh taking a look back so what, what do you what do you have for us today well you know when approached with this concept uh, i was thinking about it you know we, we've all seen the classic movies and it, it, it's one for the ages i just i have to comment on forrest gump and it's it's more so the modern enlightened view I have of the movie since I've did you say Forrest Gump? Forrest Gump, ah, tremendous. We're gonna take a dump here on the idea of Forrest Gump, but in a good way, all good right. a good rose smelling. <laughs> so you know, as a young child, obviously we all loved Forrest Gump. We still love Forrest Gump. Great kid. Uh, if I'm gonna note on some technical aspects real quick, I mean the cinematography. You have the floating feather and. Yeah, but you have that big lake in Washington D.C. and some of the shots they have are, are are just gorgeous. You know, they use a lot of style in it, and you have the different settings. The soundtrack, the sound, the music really goes well with it, and it all goes in chronological order with what's popular at the time. But the last time I watched it, I found myself looking at it from more of an artistic standpoint, like a, as a writer, and you got to think how it represents everyone and everything in that movie is a symbol. Sure, uh, you know. Gen A would be the symbol of the counterculture movement. You know, Forrest Gump would be the symbol of the just the all American kind of just sure. simple person who is has no malicious intent. He's just trying to live life, but, yeah. but he does it to this very distinct set of core values. Right. He's not really taking a stand though either. Like 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 you said, the counterculture side, not so much. That's Jenny and yeah. I mean, he, some of the he, people she's associated associated with. He beats that one guy up when Jenny and he are making out, and he thinks he's hurting her. That's he, right. Yeah, you know, but he yeah he has no malicious intent, but he doesn't do anything to promote his idea. So I, I really think the writing in Forrest Gump is a symbol for going back to the basic roots of the American philosophy of just being simple, well-to-do people. Respect yourself. Respect others. Um. 
I, I think it's a beautiful concept that we needed back in the '90s, especially <laughs> with with Clinton, you know, coming out of the uh, the first Bush era, and it was just appropriate for the time. It tackled everything. This dude literally was involved in almost every big major cultural event that went on. So it illuminates all those and it shows the contrast images of what these abstract kind of people are, as opposed to just the basic idea of the American living his life. Heck yeah. Well, and you know, I mean, to me, inserting Forrest Gump into some of the historical uh, situations where they did was, uh, to me, that was a bit corny, but uh, you know, uh, oh, like he, did, he found out Watergate. Yeah, I get why it was inserted into the into the plot of the story. Uh, definitely a phenomenal film, and one worth taking a look at again. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Excellent. All right. Well, uh, I'm glad we were able to do that. Uh, but now we've reached the signature feature of our program. It's namesake, if you will. a little segment we like to call the beatdown list and as you know we are the beatdown show we couldn't be the beatdown show without our beatdown list gotta have the list gotta have it so essentially we're going to list some things here that uh that are a little troubling and uh then we'll have a little disclaimer for you first thing i'd like to put on the beatdown list was that L.A. That's right. Los Angeles. City of Angels. L.A. has got ridiculous gridlock, as everybody knows. Terrible air quality. The pretentious citizenry. um, You know, the Hollywood vibe. It is absolutely the worst parts of society. And uh, here in San Diego, we draw the line. Most folks here in San Diego... uh, can't stand L.A. or Angelinos, and nope. we're not trying to be them. It may not be as apparent if you come from another part of the country and you've never visited the West Coast, but uh, L.A. is just awful for the most part. Now, don't get me wrong. I love parts of L.A. Oh, definitely. Some neighborhoods. I got friends that live up there. Beverly Hills. I wouldn't go there, but that's all right. Uh, some people ap- appreciate Beverly Hills. There's kind of less ritzy areas of town that I frequent and uh, Crenshaw Street yeah absolutely I'm always hanging out with the homies on Crenshaw but uh, but you know LA definitely on our beatdown list and uh, one last thing LA you're welcome to have a football team again just not ours yeah all right moving on next thing on the beatdown list people who don't pick up after their dog I'm talking about poop here people poop poop dog poop now, it's my experience that most dog owners are pretty responsible. I see po- folks with those plastic bags here in San Diego's North Park. A lot of dog owners, and I see folks being really responsible. But when they don't do it, then we got a problem, especially if it ends up on the sidewalk. Are you kidding me? Pick that stuff up. And if you can't do that, you probably shouldn't own a dog. Well, just imagine if they have a newborn baby. Are they never going to change the diaper? But uh, To be honest, though, the whole picking up the poop is a new concept for me. I was raised in the woods in Oklahoma, <laughs> and then I was raised in Colorado You know, during my high school years. Sure. And the thing was, you took an animal outside, or it was already outside. It pooped. You went on your day. Yeah, right. but I understand. I've never lived in such a dense city environment. That's a can... tremendous breakdown. Wow, now, now, I was really a, impressed with that. At a park. <laughs> At a park, I can get it. You know, if it's on the grass, don't worry about it. 
whatever. But on the sidewalk, I can at least say you have some common courtesy. If, if it's on nature, leave it alone. If it's on anything man-made, pick it up. Well, we're going to have to disagree there. I don't, I don't want people leaving it in my parks either. I, I use the parks here in San Diego, so... But I get, I get, get what you're saying. No, it attributes a fertile soil, you know, as a manure. Sure, sure, yes, the fertilizer aspect of it. Uh, <laughs> organic too, organic fertilizer. Fantastic, J Dub. The beatdown list segment of this podcast is intended for entertainment purposes only and does not condone or advocate violence in any form. Its larger purpose is to serve cautionary notice for the intended people or entities here and expose that the informed populace is omnipresent, outraged, and fully operational and will no longer accept any tomfoolery, trickeration, hijinks, absurdity, rope-a-doping, carnival barking, hypocrisy, or insanity in any form or manner. What. So. Ever. That's right. All right. Well, we've kind of reached uh, the end of our rope here. We're at the end of the program. It's been a lot of fun. I had a good time. How about you, Jay? Oh, I had a great time. Well, I feel like we're vibing. We're riffing. It's amazing. We got some thank yous to go over here. Uh, first of all, I'd like to thank our guests for being on the show. Thank you so much. I'd like to thank uh, my colleague, my friend, my sidekick, Mr. J-Dub. Thank you, J-Dub, sidecar here at your service. Thank you. <laughs> Let's also hear it for uh, the man behind the scenes, our executive producer and engineer, Mr. McCoolin. McCoolin! Thanks again for uh, everything he does on the production. We really appreciate it. We're going to end with this quote from the immortal words of John Wooden. And it goes a little something like this. If you're not making mistakes, then you're not doing anything. I'm positive that a doer makes mistakes. All right, guys, that's our show. Straight cash, homie. Straight cash, indeed. We'll catch you on the next episode. Uh, before we do go, uh, you can reach out to the show. We have uh, some contact info. J-Dub? You can reach the Beatdown Show via email at beatdownsd at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook or at the official Twitter handle at Beatdown Show. And there's our contact info. It is marvelous. And we'll be back with another episode soon. For myself and everyone here at The Beatdown Show. The Beatdown Show. Namaste.